Today, we really are going to do an open meeting. Last week, that was the goal, and I ended up talking for 30-plus minutes. And a few of you did come up, but today is a full-on open meeting. But she said we need to be ready and prepared. And I feel like in my spirit, when I keep praying for this place, this church, you know, this next year, I just keep hearing the word preparation. And I feel like this is an in-season word. And if you know anything about the Bible in Revelation, you know, Jesus addresses seven churches and he says, these things are amazing. These things are a little bit difficult. One, I don't think gets any rebuke. Some get a lot more. Throughout the, the uh, epistles, you see Paul addressing certain churches, calling out certain people by name. He's like, Monty, thanks for bringing the books. You know, like JL, thanks for the parchments, whatever those words are. Who can I call it? Well, I love you, Will, and you're new and you're back. So, Will deserted me when I was in Philippi. You know, he's just like, he's just like calling people out. You're just like, wow. Like, everyone's on like a first name basis. And, uh, you know, and I feel like, you know, what is God saying to this church in this season right now? And if this is home church, I feel like we are in a season of preparation. And God is saying he is getting you, he's getting me, he's getting our church ready for what's coming this next year. And, you know, I'll say this for some of you because I feel like you need to hear it, but some of us need to let go of last season. Some of us need to let go of some toxic people in the last season, toxic thoughts you're having, ways that are not helping you, habits that you've got into, routines and ways that are not bringing life and life abundantly to you. And it's you with the Holy Spirit that has to pivot. You know, if you don't know what the word repentance means, it means to change your thoughts, then change your direction. And if you don't know the definition of insanity, it's doing the same thing over and over and over and expecting different results. The Holy Spirit is speaking to his church and he's asking us to pivot in certain directions. And, you know, when you think about a life of preparing, for me at least, I think about a farmer, and I think about an athlete. And a farmer, if you you know you know this, it's a lot of work. That little you know garden right there. I mean, you got to till everything up. You got to put the right soil in, seeds in, water it x amount of times. Then you got to trust in God, right, to bring the rain, to bring well, we bring the water to it, uh, but bring the sun, right, or things aren't going to grow. And then an athlete, the Olympics are going right now, right? I mean, some of these people have been five years old. They've been training their whole stinking life for this moment, for this day. Something the Holy Spirit's been saying to me for years is, Jason, you prepare today for what's coming tomorrow. You know, prepare today for the adversity that's coming tomorrow. And I want, to, I want for my own life, but for you life, for us to live lives that are prepared, that are ready, that aren't trying to get ready, but we've already got ready and we're staying ready with God. Jalen, if you don't mind, can you just pass out those sheets? They're just verses that we're going to read through together. And I said this last week, and I'll just say it again because I said a lot of stuff last week, but, you know, we are disciples of Jesus, meaning we're learning to trust the leadership of Jesus in our life. And what a disciple is, is one who's learning. He's an apprentice. He, she, they're coming under. What is Jesus saying? And, you know, when Jesus shows up, he says, follow me, right? Somebody, follow me. Not the other way around. Jesus, follow me into my dreams, what I want, what I want to do, and now bless this. It's actually the other way. He's saying, no, follow me. And sometimes he says, I'm going to lead you in a way you wouldn't necessarily want to go. 
But do we all know when you go the way of Jesus, it's actually the way you really wanted to go. (laughs) It was our flesh that was like, I don't want to go that way. But when we do it with the spirit, because the Bible says the spirit and the flesh are in constant opposition to one another. So you can't do the thing that you please. There's literally a war going on between your flesh and your spirit. And I, I know I take it, leave it. But like, I feel like if you're not experiencing some of that war, you may not be in tune with Holy Spirit. Because he should be pushing you this way and not always like this. Once heard someone say, our hearts are idol makers. They just make idols. And I believe one of the main idols, if you're an American, if you live here and you live in Santa Barbara, is the idol of comfort. That our flesh is just drawn to comfort. And how many things are difficult. But knowing like in the midst of the difficulty, because we talked about this last week, suffering and glory go hand in hand. In the midst of the stuff that you're saying no to your flesh and yes to your spirit, there's a reward in that. Now and the age to come. Guys, and as believers, if we're not living with eternity in mind, we're off. Because see guys, the world, they're not going to live with eternity in mind. Why would they even think about that? But for us, that should help dictate our decisions that, that should help us to, to, to say yes to temperance, to say yes to not always what we want in life. Some of you are being pruned right now and you don't even know it. You're just screaming and fighting. And God's like, I love you. This is why I'm pruning you. Do you know he said that's a reward? If you're being pruned, you're doing something right. He says, I'm pruning you so you can even bear more fruit. It means you're already doing fruit. He's saying, I'm doing more fruit. Years ago, I pruned my orange tree. I just, you know, Googled it, YouTube, how everyone does everything. And I was like, how do you prune orange trees? Like, cut open the middle, you know, get the sun to shine. I butchered the heck out of the thing. I'll be the first to say it. Holly comes out, she's like, what did you do to our tree? I'm like, I pruned it, just like it told me in this video. I was a little worried, I'm not going to lie. I was a little worried. But months later, six months later, that tree blew up with fruit. The whole thing just... And so the Holy Spirit, he knows what he's doing if you're in a season of being pruned. Don't fight it. Actually yield to it and just know he's pruning it back. So in future months, years, decades, you're going to be bearing more fruit. Everyone has the scriptures in their hand? You're probably on to what we're talking about today. Discipline discipline. Guys, I'll say this before we read the verses. The goal is not discipline. Somebody. The goal is God. (laughs) The goal isn't trying to live an obedient Christian life. The goal is being a son and a daughter that joyfully wants to live an obedient, joyful life. The goal is not discipline. The goal is God. The goal isn't trying to live this obedient Christian life. The goal is being a son and a daughter that joyfully says yes to what Papa has for him or her. You know, he hides the plans he has for us, but who knows, it says he has good plans to prosper us, good works prepared beforehand. He hides them. 
We have no idea what Holy Spirit's going to do with our life a year from now, five years from now, 20, 30, 40, 50. But I think if we lived with the end in mind, if we lived with eternity in mind, it would quicken some things in our life. Some things would go quicker. Some toxic thinking would go quicker. Some people in our life would be like, I can't. And I think if we're honest, if we're just honest, we would know like the undisciplined life is a very stressful life. It's a very chaotic life. It's a life where everything is just out there is the problem. But really, like we haven't submitted to Holy Spirit to bring order into our life. Because Psalms 50 says, he who orders his day aright, I will bring my salvation. That ain't, my, that ain't my sermon. That's Psalms 50. You bring order into your life, God's like, I'm bringing salvation into your life. See, I just believe like we're in a war. I just believe like the days we live in, like we're called to redeem the time. I just believe heaven's real. So all these factors just make me want to live like tighter life, a more like laid down life for him. And I think if all of us knew, like if God showed up, he's like, Jason, or yo, Jason, I don't know what God you got going on. <laughs> you got 10 years left of your life starting right now. And he just is like, what? I got 10 years? You know, I think it would cause all of us to be like, but one of you is like, yo, Jay, you got 10 months. I'm like, 10 months? <laughs> Time to do some videos for my future kids or something. You know, grandkids. Maybe he's like, yo, Jason, 10 days. Ah, 10 days. What do I do? Uh, I'm trying to be funny. All right. A few smiles out there. Anyway. Death is the great equalizer. You ever been to a funeral? You know what's up. It's just like, say what? We expire? When? Whoa. All right, let's read some verses. We're going to start on the NASB, and then maybe Demis or somebody who likes to read. I don't even know if you like to read, Demis. I just like when you read. NASB here, Hebrews 12, 1 through 13. Stay with these. It's easy to get distracted. Just stay with the scriptures. Therefore, guys, listen to this. These are reality. This is what's going on right now. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Somebody hear that. Verse 4, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin, and you've forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son he receives. 
It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. King James, you're a bastard. Furthermore, we have earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they discipline us for a short time, as seems best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. Here we go. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, and make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Timothy, you ready to read? You can read from there if you want. Oh, you're coming up. I like it. He likes his reading voice too. Fair. I like how the message grabs it, so I put it on the back. <clears throat> Hebrews 12, message. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on, it means we'd better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside God. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item. That long litany of hostility he plowed through, that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. In this all-out match against sin, others have suffered far worse than you. To say nothing of what Jesus went through, all that bloodshed. So don't feel sorry for yourselves. Or have you forgotten how good parents treat children and that God regards you as his children? My dear child, don't shrug off God's discipline. But don't be crushed by it either. It's the child he loves that he disciplines. The child he embraces, he also corrects. God is educating you. That's why you must never drop out. He's treating you as dear children. This trouble you're in isn't punishment. It's training, the normal experience of children. Only irresponsible parents leave children to fend for themselves. Would you prefer, prefer an irresponsible God? We respect our own parents for training and not spoiling us, so why not embrace God's training so we can truly live? While we were children, our parents did what seemed best to them, but God is doing what is best for us, training us to live God's holy best. At the time, discipline isn't much fun. It always feels like it's going against the grain. Later, of course, it pays off big time, for it's the well-trained who find themselves mature in their relationship with God. So don't sit around on your hands, no more dragging your feet. Clear the path for long-distance runners so no one will trip and fall, so no one will step in a hole and sprain an ankle. Help each other out and run for it. Amen. Thank you. All right. So I'm just going to leave this mic and we're going to open it up. You know, I just wanted to highlight, you know, from these verses real quick is your sonship, your daughtership, it's actually validated by discipline. If you weren't a son or a daughter, God just would be like, do whatever you want. I don't care. But because he loves you, 
because he desires the best for you, because he knows that selfishness or that, you know, other thing in your life is actually hurting you, he actually brings discipline into our lives. And then there's two responses, if you didn't see this here. One is to shrug it off. Ah, you don't know me. (laughs) Whatever. You know, I can't even hear that. And then the other is just to be crushed by it. Be like, oh my gosh, I'm a piece of crap. Like, look at me. You know, it's like our two responses when we get disciplined. Instead of being like, you know what, let's grow from this. And one of the most radical lines, in my view, in the book of Hebrews, at least, is verse nine. Be subject to the father of spirits and live. Be subject to God, the father. And what's the reward? Live. Have life in that place. That's fire. All right. Who wants to come get this first? Yep. Danny, come on. Welcome him up. We have perfected the, the golf clap here. I know you're new to this church, but did you feel that? Yeah, yeah this is the 17th hole. Hi, everyone. Uh, hold on just a sec. Didn't have much to teach, but I just wanted to read out of Psalm 30. And basically in Psalm 30... Uh, David is actually like going, he's being disciplined by the Lord, and it's kind of his response. It says in verse 4, Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. And then down in verse 11, it says, You have turned for me my morning into dancing. You've loosed my sackcloth and clothe me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Um, and I just wanted to encourage you guys, if like, if you feel like you're being disciplined for the Lord, like it's not a forever thing. There's a, like, there's a time limit to it, but like the glory of relationship with God and that intimacy, and like with Hebrews 12 where it says, we share in his holiness, that's forever. And so if there's something that is keeping you from that holiness, something in your life, get rid of it. Throw it away. <laughs> Chuck it out of your life. It's not worth it compared to the glory of the joy that is found in life in Jesus. So, Hello, I'm Laura, um, and I'm nervous, but um, I was I feeling like God was telling me to speak today, and I was like, nope, that's Jason's job, and then Jason was like, oh, yeah, like, we're going to have it open, um, and then I was like, yeah, but I don't have a verse, so I can't speak, and I'm not prepared, and then I got this, and I was like, oh, gosh, okay, so here I am, and I felt called to kind of share my experience this year almost feels like a second testimony, like a second coming to God. I was, I'm going to try not to cry. (laughs) I promise. Um, It's been a wild year. And the one thing I did this year that I don't regret and can never regret is listening to God, like really listening and hearing and then doing, (laughs) which is the harder part. And um, so I'm 
I'm petrified of COVID. Most of you know that because I don't I don't hug. I do now, but before I didn't. And I never left my house. I almost died when I was 15. So the idea of getting sick scares the absolute crap out of me. I hate hospitals, um, all of that. And that's important because I felt God calling me to go to Florida where um, COVID doesn't exist, apparently. And <laughs> so I thought that can't be right. And no. Um, but you'll never guess what I did. I went to Florida in the middle of a pandemic not knowing if I was going to be able to work in Florida or if I was going to lose my job or if I was going to get COVID, which honestly was all I cared about. And I remember getting on that plane and thinking, you are absolutely insane and you're definitely getting COVID, um, which I did, but <laughs> that's beside the point. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's kind of funny, though. Um, <laughs> I hate Florida. Okay. Anyways, I was having these crazy dreams that, you know, if I didn't go now, it would be never. And that my dad wasn't well. Like, something to do with my dad. And it's now or never. And it's now or never. And just these words. I would go to sleep, and I would see birds, or I would see weird things. And it almost felt like, oh, is this a weird, like, demonic dream or nightmare or something? What is this? Like, something supernatural is going on. And um, besides, you know, feeling like, what the heck is this? I, I listened because I couldn't sleep. I literally didn't sleep for weeks because I was having these crazy dreams. And now I know that it was God talking to me. And I also had a conversation with my dad where he said out of nowhere, like, am I ever going to see you again? So that helped that kind of, but he didn't tell me anything. So I decided to surprise my father and I showed up Um and he wasn't there, so I waited in the rain for like six hours. And I was so hungry. I had to get chicken tenders. I <laughs> There was no way I was going to not do that. So that's what I did. And I can't believe I'm saying this. <laughs> Bear with me. But anyway, it's important because I got to Publix, which is a grocery store that has the best chicken tenders in Florida. And um, it's also the only grocery store where I live. And um, I was in line. And I looked to my right, and there is a man who resembles my father. And I wasn't sure if it was him, because he was so visibly sick. He looked on death's doorstep. And then I realized that was my father. I have to think of something funny. Okay. Um, and it's a weird feeling, but I just think it's funny how God works. Like, thank God that I saw my dad... And had an hour to just cry, not in front of him. And then get to my house and deal with the situation and get to see my father for the first time in three years at that point. Can't think of anything funny. Shit. <laughs> okay, thank you. I need someone to do that every so often. Um, anyway, this is not a sad story, thank goodness. Um, my dad's liver was failing. He's an alcoholic. And um, I convinced him to go to the hospital. Well, urgent care, but then they called, like, 
the emergency crew. And <laughs> he was like in a, anyway, that's funny. Cause he was like, maybe I'll go to urgent care. And then he was in the hospital for like eight days. And, um, it was obviously super emotional. It was hard, but such an incredible testament to timing of God. And truly it was, you know, now or never. And, um, even though I got COVID, <laughs> it was worth it because I helped to save my dad. And kind of part of the beginning of this is I prayed for myself for the first time and a few other people. I kind of like really sat down and was like, what do I want? And I was like, I pray that my dad gets saved. Oh, well, anyway, um, this will keep me from crying. Um, I prayed that my God, my dad would get saved. And I meant like... I prayed that he would become a Christian, just for the heck of it. Why not? I was like, okay, that sounds good. And um, what's so crazy is that my dad is now recovering. He's actually doing extremely well, and I'll get into that in a second. But also, my dad believes in God. My dad attends church every so often. Me and my dad talk about God, and my dad's completely recovered. He hasn't had a sip of alcohol in over eight months, which is pretty cool. <laughs> and if you would have told me that <laughs> when I was sitting in my room, <laughs> afraid to go outside, I would have said, absolutely not. I mean, the biggest miracle of my life is watching my dad recover from alcoholism and also recover from almost dying. It was really awesome to see, and, and I've been praying and, and asking Jason to pray, and if you guys don't mind praying, that would be cool, um, because they were like dead set. He needs a liver transplant, all this stuff, and I was like, you know what? I prayed before. Why don't I pray again? It worked the first time, and MELD score is what it's called, but it's like your liver score. His was really elevated. He was actually number one in the U.S., um, which is crazy. And they called us and offered him a transplant. And he felt like it wasn't the right time. And he had this unbelievable hope that he's going to get better. And I thought, absolutely crap. Like, because <laughs> I've seen the worst of it. And then I realized, where is my faith? And God, I wasn't asking God. I wasn't listening. And um, the whole point of what this story is to listen to God. That's like really all I wanted to say to you guys. And it's a lot easier than you think. Like if you've ever been driving down the street and you've heard, go left instead of right, or don't go there now. And you thought, no, nah, nah, I'm going to go there anyway. Maybe don't. <laughs> Maybe listen. I, it worked for me. And I'm certainly glad that I did because I would have already attended my dad's funeral like five months ago. I would have never heard my dad talk about God. He only believed in Mother Nature up until then. Um, and I wouldn't know God in the same way that I do today. And I'm almost thankful that it happened because it's just crazy how we can believe in God and we can go to church and we can be around believers and still have so little faith. So little faith. So little faith. I say it all the time. Like when people talk about, oh, I don't know if I'll ever find someone. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, are you joking? Like, it's kind of wild. It's really crazy. Like, for sure there's someone out there for you. Just chill out. Like, God's got it. You probably aren't grown up yet. Anyway, I'm speaking to myself. But I'm just, I'm just saying, 
whatever the case may be, having faith is the big piece of it. It's just having faith and listening to God. So anyway, when we talk about discipline, I just had to laugh because I am not a disciplined person in any way, shape, or form. And I grew up in a Baptist church and I hated church and I hated God. And then God came to me in my life and I became a Christian and no one in my like family understands it to this day. Um, and that's the same with my dad. Didn't believe in God, was a big alcoholic, didn't care for much other than beer and wine. And now he's a totally different person. And that's what God can do in your life. And um, yeah, I just want to encourage you guys to kind of listen and follow through with that action if possible. Oh, yes. Okay. So my dad's liver score was 25 and he was number one in the U.S. <clears throat> we turned down a perfectly good liver, <clears throat> which sounded crazy at the time. And his liver score right now is under 17. It's actually 16. And I've been praying for 15 and my dad's praying for 10. <laughs> so it goes to show how much faith a new believer has. That's really awesome. So if you want to pray for like six, that sounds great to me. <laughs> Um, and yeah, just praise God. Sure. Okay. I'm the, well, I'm not the worst at praying, but I, (laughs) I don't know how to do it. Okay. (laughs) Don't put the pressure on me now. Dear God, thank you so much for endowing us with faith in the first place and bringing us to you. Um, teaching us what faith is and and speaking to us so loud that we have to listen. Um, and I pray that and everyone here today hears your voice just so much louder and so much clearer and you get to move through this world and these people in a way that you never have before. And um, I just pray for renewed faith and um, and for family members that don't believe that you can... Use us to move through the world and bring people to you. Um, And thank you for this community and thank you for all of the people able to kind of bring each other up and and pray for each other and and, um, pray for each other's family members and see real transformation in their lives and come to you and know you in a way they never have before. Amen. So good, so good. This verse starts off, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, those are all the saints that have gone before, still praying, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race set before us, fix our eyes on Jesus. This is coming off of Hebrews 11, if you don't know that, and so sometimes you may ask yourself, what's the sin which so easily entangles us? And that's the sin of unbelief which is why faith is what moves the mountains. It's the fuel to the the whole car, you know, without faith, nothing works. So anyway, great word. Uh, from here on out, we're going to keep it five Bs. Be brief, baby, be brief. Um, but I've been wanting, Laura, to share that testimony for so long. I just get blasted by it. Yeah, it's just incredible. Thank you, God. So who's next? All right, Harmon just popped up, dude, and running. Here we go. Run the race with endurance. <laughs> okay. Oh, Jason. Okay, 
Amen. Thank you. I didn't want to waste time because sometimes I ramble. But anyways, okay. So um, I wanted to share a testimony about like how good God has been. And I wanted to start it off with most people here know, but um, my I've shared this with like even the testimony. Anyways, but my younger brother passed away this last year um, in August to a drug overdose. And he was 17. And um, it was, like, obviously and still is really hard and, like, a shock to our family. And, wait, I, it's like, there's, like, so much good, like, okay, it's uh, the worst thing ever. But what I wanted to share about is, like, God has, like, radically taken care of me and my family through all of this. And there's been so much restoration that has happened with, like, my relationship with my dad, especially just, like, bringing the family closer together. And also, um, I remember when it happened, IVC had a worship prayer night for my family. And, like, I, like, listened back, and it was recorded, and I listened to, like, the prayers. And, like, so many prayers were answered throughout the year of, like, God just bringing specific relationships or specific, like, or just, like, even, like, abundance and so many, like, financial or whatever and anything. Um, but a specific thing that I was reflecting on is, um, hold on, let me think. Just a second. I'm trying to decide how to word this. I feel like there's so much that I just can't think of right now. It's okay. But anyways, so, um, yeah. So when it happened, my sister and I would, um, we, like, shared a room, like, every night for a couple of weeks. And um, I remember one night, Sharon, my sister's name is Sharon, and she was just, like, she doesn't, like she doesn't have a relationship with God um but like how I like you know how yeah but anyways so um she was just like not understanding she was like Harmon like I just don't understand like how did this happen like because he like it happened in the middle of the night and um and it was really hard because I'm the only Christian in the family and so like usually I'm like always like trying to share testimonies of how good God is but then, like, when my brother, like, overdosed, it's like, oh, wait, I've actually been praying for him for years, and now I don't know what to tell my family, because that is, like, a huge unanswered prayer. And so I was just, like, Sharon, like, honestly, I, like, what I felt like God was saying to me was, like, I just believe that, like, like, him, I just believe that, like, my brother's name is Jeevan, that, like, a moment before he died, I just believe that he had an encounter with God and that Jeevan got to choose whether to be in heaven or to be on earth. And I just really believe that my brother chose to be in heaven. Um, and that makes me want to cry, but that's the only way I can reconcile it at the moment. But I just... Hold on, let me think. <laughs> Thank you. But I just, like, I'm just... Because even through that, like, I so believe that God, 
like listen to all my prayers about my brother and everything I so believe that and I just believe that like God sees outside of everything and that like even though there's a part of me that could be like you know like God like you know um why am I praying for anything like if like people can just die and leave like what's the point but I just I don't know I'm just like you know I think that like that was maybe Jeevan's in heaven I believe he's in heaven but yes. does that make sense what I'm trying to share thank you thank you I'm gonna I'm gonna make a better spoken word about it and then it'll be on the internet one day and you guys should watch it then Hello. Um, I do not do public speaking or any kind of speaking very well. Um, <laughs> but I do write poetry. Um, and so without giving too much context, because I'm in a time crunch here, um, I was raised in Francis Chan's church in Simi Valley, California. Uh, but my family stopped going around the age of 11, when I was 11. Um, and that was a really impressionable eight to nine years of no church. Uh, and so I didn't really, when I was making decisions in, bo uh, in high school, uh, I didn't have like the foundation of God at the center of my life. And so when I started going back to church, it was just not a good experience. And this is a poem about how I find, found Isla Vista. And it was, it's a poem about the first time I ever heard uh, God speak to me on where to be in my life. And I am shaking. <laughs> Sorry. Um, okay. And as I started to age, suddenly everything changed. I saw more of a desire to teach people about hellfire than to show them why they need Jesus in the first place. I saw the want for a reaction and not even a fraction of the joy of the Holy Spirit. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. And if you still struggle, well, better get on your knees. You can pray away the gay by planting a seed. Good job. You did your part. Moving on, please. I saw the church pursue comfort instead of pursuing those in pain. I saw people like me begin questioning the same, knowing the truth must lie somewhere where no one has anything to gain. I saw the church see struggles as inclinations to sin, but what looked good on the outside was really rotting within. Convoluted context of the Bible always seemed to win. I saw pastors get on stages and preach to no end about this so-called man named Jesus. Sermons sound, sounded more like gossip of a friend, as the hand extended towards you condemns but does not mend. You see, they left out the part where Jesus ate with sinners, painted heaven as a hierarchy like God chooses winners, and forgot the fact that the king of kings washed feet before he ate dinner. They left out the part where men were told to gouge out their eyes as the church promotes rape culture behind the devil's lies that told women like me to cover up and be shy, don't want to be accountable for what men choose to demise. They forget that when Christians saw Paul, they chose to run fast. But when George Floyd gets murdered, it's remember his past, building selective ideologies on things that don't last because they serve political parties, keeping the heart of God masked. 
And as I started to age, age, my heart turned to anger. As I screamed, God, who are you? Church family turned to strangers. As I yearned to know the Jesus who embodied a baby in a manger, my preconceived theology suddenly endangered. I'd ask the wrong questions or simply ask too many. Ye of little faith was the rebuttal I heard plenty. Keep your head down, keep your eyes closed, even if you feel empty. And as I started to age, suicidal thoughts flooded my essence. As I'd cry out to God, Lord, let me feel your presence, I started to feel my faith take on the shape of a remembrance. The voices were too loud and didn't offer any severance. Ending it all felt like the only way out. Until one day, the day I heard God speak. The voice was low, but the voice was meek. He said, go. Go, child, go. Run, child, run to this place called Isla Vista, where my work is being done. Discover who I am and get to know my son. And as I continue to age, somehow I don't feel older. I'm filled with a child like glee as my faith becomes bolder. And all the pain that I felt is validated in the eyes of my beholder. The race is being ran and nowhere close to being over. And for the first time, I feel joy to be alive. Hello, my name's Grant, and uh, if my voice sounds shaky, it's not God coming to judge, uh, just my nervousness, so please bear with me. Um, I've only been here a few times, and, uh, <laughs> um, well, wanted to read a couple things just to share about myself, and uh, it's joyful, but sometimes I get emotional, I think I get it from my dad. Uh he watched a Tarantino movie, came out halfway through and started crying. I was making fun of him, but just like him. Um, a few things. I've been a believer most of my life. Well, I would say all my life. But when I was little, I used to, I used to cry because I wasn't sure what would happen when I would die. Because um, I really never knew who Jesus was. And I never knew if I was truly saved. And about seven years ago, I met uh, my friend Bo. He used to date my sister, and he was a Christian, but I wouldn't say uh, mature in faith, you know, still living in sin as something that was okay, um, since my sister's not a believer. But before I met him, I was praying that I would know who God was. I would truly know. I was living a life, again, believing, but all my friends were secular and, you know, just living that style of, doing whatever, and it seemed fine because I can just ask God to forgive me for my sins and everything would be okay. But I was uncertain in my heart what would truly come about at the end of my life. So I was praying to know God, and I saw Bo drive um, down the street. I live in San Diego. He's driving down the street outside of where I worked one day, and he invited me to a church I go to now. And uh, But I was living this life where I would sin and I would repent for my sins and ask God to forgive me, but I was living in a way that made it seem like I had to face punishment and nothing good would happen to me until I paid the consequences. But it's because I didn't truly understand what the purpose of Jesus 
is sacrifice and a shed of blood truly was. That at any moment I fall and continue to fall, as soon as I repent, I know I'm instantly forgiven and there's nothing for me to suffer or to go through except discipline to correct my sin to make sure that I don't make those mistakes again and I can put my eyes towards Jesus. So that was overcoming about seven years ago and truly just reading God's word and understanding and studying his word. And so that's helped me to know who Jesus was. And through that, I've come to understand a lot of theology about God and scripture and what it truly means, you know, because sometimes I read it. I think we all read it and that makes sense. But what does it truly mean? Who is Paul talking to in his letters or, you know, what does Jesus truly mean by this parable? So over these last seven years, I've come to know God, but I've questioned what my relationship is like with God. What does it look like when I wake up in the morning, when I go to work, when two days turns into a week to turns into a couple months, and then it's halfway through the year, and how much time have I spent with God? Why am I still questioning how is he talking to me? What do I do during the day? How do I know it's you, God, and not my voice in my head that's telling me to do this or to do that? I felt like... It's like I knew my parents, but I never spent any time with them, and I didn't know what the communication looked like. So I wanted to read something from Revelation uh, when Jesus is talking to one church specifically. I think it's, uh, it's Laodicea, so it's Revelation 3, verse 14. Uh, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, says this, which again, Jesus is just implementing that he is eternal. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold, hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed, and I solve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, therefore be zealous and repent." Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me and my throne, on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So that's been my battle over these last couple years is to know I don't want to be cold. You know, I want to be a hot. I want to be on fire. I want to be like um, the Thunder Brothers, the Zebedees. You know, I want to be zealous for God. And I'm very humble. God has made me humble and kind. Um, I own two repair shops. And my employees, they're not believers. But when they see me and they see me treat rude customers and people who are angry, they see me treat them with kindness and love. Because at the end of the day, if I'm seeing only five people a day, but they're not seeing Christ in me. What's the point of me even working? I might as well be isolated on a farm. But I can't run from my sins, you know? I can't run from my duties. So to do that, you know, I believe the Holy Spirit's in me and is producing that through the way I treat people and how people treat me and how I react to it. But at the same time, I still battle with 
wanting to live in a very enjoyable secular life for the flesh, you know, and overcome that over the years. I don't care to drink or to smoke or to do anything. You know, God has made it uncomfortable for me to be in a place where I'm not sober. So as, as far as like hanging out with people and seeing people, um, I just want to share this. If anyone's having an issue with hanging out with members of the church and then members who are not, it's okay to minister and to serve others. But I've done that and I haven't taken care of myself and I haven't taken care of the body of Christ, which is all of you. And I haven't taken care of my family, which is my son. And um, I thought I was doing God's work. And in some instances, I was actually putting myself in a position that was failing and causing me to have struggles and um, putting the body of Christ secondary. And so uh, I just have words of encouragement is to know that God has us to take care of ourselves first and the body of Christ and our families. So if anyone else is struggling with hanging around or having um, difficulty, you know, with who to associate with, uh, just know that the hunger that he puts in us to be in the body, to be fed, when I would feel uncomfortable talking to new people at church, just knowing that the scripture is the basis to go off of, to feed us, to have that baseline of we can understand and talk about something, uh, I would say choose that, choose that hunger. And uh, I just wanted to share that with you. Kind of went off track a little bit, but thank you. Hello. Um, I just wanted to share something that I felt the Lord challenged me in. Um, sorry to my housemates for this being repetitive. I've already shared it with them. Um, I was having to make a decision in my life, and I definitely, I'm like a very emotional person, and so I feel like that's always something that I've kind of had to walk through is like giving those emotions over to the Lord and kind of letting him kind of give me peace. Um, and so this was a few weeks ago, but yeah, I was trying to make a decision, and I was in a really hard place, and I'd been praying about it and didn't really feel like I had heard the Lord, and so... I um, went to bed and I was like tossing and turning and I was like, all right, you're not going to bed right now. You are just like need to go pray. So um, I went and I was praying and yeah, the Lord basically like completely wrecked me about peace and basically revealed that like all my peace was built on sand. Um, and so, yeah, even that night, like I had texted my roommate and told her like, oh, I still don't know. Like I haven't felt peace about anything. And when I was sitting and praying, I randomly, I haven't done this, but one of my old mentors, she would like send us emails. And so I looked up one of her old emails and the context of it was someone had sent her an email about monks basically asking about like, okay, if monks are Christian and peace comes from God, then how do they experience like immense peace? And it started like this whole email thread, like about peace. And it was just really good and it wrecked me. So I wanted to share some of it. Um, and just read some stuff from it. So it says, outside of Christ, there is no real peace. You might experience some if all goes well and you live protected from the outside world. We are, however, in this world and cannot always be isolated from what comes at us. For that, we need real peace that only Christ can give. Peace is also an interesting concept. I think if we study peace in scripture, you'll find things like the peace of God that surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. When we speak of peace, we are typically speaking of an emotion or a lack of internal conflict. 
conflict. I have a few thoughts on this. There are plenty of self-deceived people who have a lack of internal conflict as, as they have silenced both their conscience and the voice of the Holy Spirit in their lives. This might feel good, but ultimately we realize it's not. Where did peace become a Christian decision maker? Can anyone substantiate that from scripture for me? I think what is often happening here is that people are using emotions to make decisions. I'm not sure about you guys, but in my past, I've had peace about decisions that were dead wrong and even sometimes directly opposed to scripture. And in this moment, I was like, dang, it was very clear that I had already heard from the Lord what I was supposed to be doing. And then something shook me in my life. And I was like, oh, well, you know, maybe something's different now and I need to pray about it again. And maybe God has a different thing for me now that this situation happened, which when we're talking about peace, there's definitely discerning stuff and discerning peace. That's a little bit different. But when we're choosing how we feel to make decisions, instead of looking at what real peace is and aligning with the Lord's heart in that, um, the Lord just challenged me. I was like, dang, all my peace is built on sand. I've been like, oh, I don't feel peace. I'm not feeling peace because there's stuff happening in my life. That's crazy. That's always going to be happening. And that's just revealing that my peace was built on sand and not actually um, in the Lord. And so um, she asked a question. She said, if peace and hope are not feelings, but they have been defined as feelings in our culture, even our church culture, then what are they actually? And how do you know if you have them? Um, and there was some scripture. So like Isaiah 26, three, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Romans 5.1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 14.17, for the kingdom of God is not meat, meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. So I believe the same is true for peace. Outside of Christ, there is no real peace. You might experience some if all goes well and you live protected from the outside world. We are, however, in this world and cannot always be isolated from what comes at us. For that, we need real peace that only Christ can give. Um... And yeah, I guess I the biggest revelation I had is when they defined um, a quote from the Bible Project. It was super cool. It says, becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus to reconcile all things in heaven and earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work. Peace is not just an absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether in our lives, relationships, or in the world. It seems like a lot of times we limit peace to the absence of conflict, which is the peace we potentially see in people around the world. Whereas in the Bible, we see shalom or true peace, which can only come by being complete in Christ and reconciled back to the Father. Defining shalom alludes to both the false peace and shalom isn't an emotion that we use to make decisions. It's instead a state of being reconciled to God through Jesus and we can be make decisions based off of that. So basically the difference between feeling peace of like, ah, stuff is going on. I don't feel peace versus no, 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 shalom. Like we have peace in God and being reconciled back to him and not making decisions based off your feelings because it's not biblical. We're going to land this after Heidi. Cool. Hey, friends. Yeah. Um, okay, so in the, the past few, I guess, maybe four weeks, God has been really speaking to me through pictures of lions, and he's just been speaking over, like, boldness, power, authority, and I'm just like, God, I don't have that, I don't feel that, and he just has been, over and over again, just boldness, power, and authority, 
And everywhere I go, like I keep having these weird experiences where there's like a picture of a lion. In my therapist's office, there's like um, a big painting of a lion and um, someone's wearing a t-shirt and walks past me. And it's just like these little reminders that God's speaking that over me. But I just, I don't think that it's just for me. I was kind of praying about it and I think it's for our church and I think it has to do with prayer that we have boldness, we need to have boldness and we have power and we have authority. And God had me look up this like random video on a documentary about lions and it was and I was watching it and it was saying these like certain facts about lions and I wanted to read some of them because it kind of blew me away. And it says lions roar to claim their territory. And I feel like Isla Vista, we have claimed that this is God's territory and this is holy ground and we want to like see kingdom come here. And um territory as like his righteous children and um and their roars are as loud as thunder and I'm a nanny and we go to the zoo a lot and there's lions there and we're watching the giraffes and stuff and then all of a sudden I heard this craziest noise and it was like nothing I've ever heard before and everyone kind of just like stopped and it got still and we like all were like what was that it was the lions right next door roaring and I've been to the zoo like a bunch of times and I've never heard that and it was the craziest noise, and God was, just, was like, that's what it's like. When, you're, when you guys pray in boldness and power and authority that I've given you, like, the world gets still and listens and, like, leans in a little bit, and it's like, what was that? And there's a shift in the atmosphere. Um, and, sorry, I have my notes about them. Okay, and then also when they're hunting down their prey, it takes multiple of them. So one will go and kind of like distract it and taunt it. And then another one will come and then sly, like all of a sudden there's like a million and they um, exhaust them and then they kill them. And I just like thinking about Monday night prayer, we come together and we pray and we're exhausting the enemy and we're exhausting all his plans and almost having him like chasing his tail and like he doesn't even realize that he's chasing his own tail at this point and he gets exhausted and he ends up just dying and his plans don't come to pass and God's does and they're always on the lookout because there's always a threat out there and that's not something to be like fearful of but it's like there's always something there's always the enemy's plans but we want to see kingdoms kingdom come here and we want to see the God's plans come to pass and so we got to be on the lookout and we want to um to do that and I had a picture in my head of all of the, like the community houses and all of the people that are part of like our community like pacing back and forth in their like bedrooms and stuff all at the same time and like really like we're those lions that are coming and being sly and like being bold and it's time to be bold in our prayers and it's time to be bold in the way we love people um and yeah and then he gave me proverbs 28 and the end of it says but the righteous are as bold as lion and so yeah that's what i'm gonna share let's do that let's be that cool come on so the Bible says, that verse is, the wicked flee when no one is pursuing. So the wicked are just fleeing when no one's pursuing, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Well, I thought we were talking about discipline today. Got to kind of hijack that. You have the verses. I do believe there is a word in there. So please read those. So stand, and I'm just going to pronounce a blessing over us, and then we're just going to call it... This is out of Hebrews 6. 
So just close your eyes, just receive this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. And all God's people said, amen. All right, family, bless you guys.